Kate O'Keefe is the perfect Valentine's Day guest, a USA Today best-selling author of laugh-out-loud comedies, sweet romance, feel-good stories with gorgeous happily ever afters. Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and on Binge Reading Today, Kate talks about a recent book of hers, Never Fall for the One That Got Away. It's in a series, and it asks and beautifully answers a key question. If life gives you a second chance with the one that got away, do you take it? We've got five copies of this ebook to give away. We'll draw it before February 14, so enter by the 13th, and we'll have it winging to you by the 14th, so you can sit there laughing while you read it, eating chocolates and drinking wine. You'll have to provide those for yourself. We've also got a couple of other great giveaways. A historical fiction sale with 65 books in it, great titles, many different time periods and locations, including Susanna's Secret, book two in my new Home at Last series. That's a historical fiction sale. And then we've also got an American fiction giveaway. Eight paperbacks, one winner. You have to enter by February the 9th. Once again, I've got Unbridled Vengeance in this one, book five in the Of Gold and Blood series. But that's enough of the housekeeping. Here's Kate. Hello there, Kate, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Jenny. It's fantastic to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Look, we're thrilled to have you on this Valentine's week. And as I've mentioned in the intro, you do live in New Zealand in Hawke's Bay in a beautiful area, but you write international bestsellers set in many other parts of the world. Tell us how you got into this right at the beginning. Got into writing, you mean? Yeah, the writing, yeah. Well, I have always been a voracious reader, and I imagine most writers will say that ever since I was a little girl. I grew up in a family with a father who was a business professor and published many books, 20 plus books. So I was always around the possibility that I could do it. Of course, what I write is extraordinarily different from business books, <laughs> the other end of the spectrum, as it were. But I had I'd studied literature at university and I was a bit of a literary snob, in fact. I wouldn't read anything that wasn't a prize winner or a literary classic. And then one day a friend of mine handed me Bridget Jones's diary and I read that and absolutely loved it. And I had this epiphany where I thought, gosh, I can read for enjoyment instead of just bettering myself and reading the classics to make sure I've read all the classics. And that really was the beginning of me realizing that actually I might like to write this as well. And I, over the years, I began to write a few ideas down and it wasn't until my son was two and he was napping and I wasn't going to work at the time. I was a stay-at-home mother and I just thought, you know what, I might just try. I might just see if I can do this. And that was gosh, 13, 14 years ago. And I loved it. I was absolutely addicted to it. And yeah, it's become, it was a hobby for years. And then it became a career about 2017. It's fantastic. Yeah. 
So when you were reading the literary books, were you thinking in terms of possibly trying to do some sort of literary book yourself? I did think of that initially. And then I thought that I might find that I got very bogged down in it. And I, I wasn't having that enjoyment that I felt when I read that first Helen Fielding a book, Bridget Jones's Diary, and all the subsequent kind of chiclet, Marion Keyes, Soapy Kinsella, et cetera, those books. And I wanted to enjoy it and have that joy. Yes. And for me, for me, bringing happiness to people's lives and escapism, the happily ever after, all of that just really spoke to me and it spoke to my personality. So that's what I did. And I actually haven't tried to write anything literary for a very long time. And I have no plans. <laughs> Happy with what I do now. It very much comes through in your writing, I feel, the tone of it, that you are enjoying it yourself, that it's, it's fun. Now, we're going to be particularly talking about your most recent series, It's Complicated. And you've got a new one next month as well that sounds really fun, with the first title of which is Faking It With The Grump. I think a lot of women could identify with that title. <laughs> so tell us a bit about... It's complicated, that most recent series that you've recently completed. Well, that's a four-book series set in London, and it's actually a spin-off from my Love Manor series, which is the Dating Mr. Darcy books. So the sister of the man who poses as Mr. Darcy in those books is the first book, so Never Fall for Your Backup Guy, and that is based around a character called Zara, and Zara is Mr. Darcy's sister. So I wanted to spin that series off because I'd loved writing that series and I'd really enjoyed writing Zara, who was just a side character in the first book. She didn't play any special role other than being Mr. Darcy's sister and loving Emma, who's the Elizabeth Bennet character, So, as in the Pride and Prejudice storyline. So I, I created a bunch of friends for her. One of them had been a contestant on that show and the other two were new characters. And each character gets a book. And it was such a fun series to write. I absolutely loved it. And I, I really love Zara. And I, in fact, dedicated that whole book to my dad, who passed away when quite some years ago and when I was in my 30s. So it had a held special meaning to me. Yes. I'd like to add at this point that although we're talking series here, you do underline that they can all be read as standalone. So they've got nice that nice positioning of, you don't have to read the whole series to be able to appreciate the book. But if you really love the book, there are other books very similar to it that you can move on to. Yes, because in all of my series, except for the Love Manor series, which are the Darcy books, every book is about a different friend. So you can read their story from start to finish in one book. But if you want to know what happens in other people's lives, other characters' lives, then read the series. But I do have readers who come to me from reading book four in a series, for example don't realize it's in a series, but are still perfectly satisfied with the storyline. There are no cliffhangers, nothing like that. Yeah. And right from the beginning, did you decide that you wanted to go for an international market? Was it any harder for you starting off this career in New Zealand than it would have been if you'd been living, say, in Washington? I actually think it, it is a little bit harder for us New Zealanders, particularly because the US is the market that I targeted, mainly because it's the largest market. and not living there, not speaking American English. Like we all think we understand American English because you watch TV programs or read books in, in American English, but actually it's much more nuanced than we realize. So I always have an American editor and an American proofreader, typically, 
So that's something to consider. But also just networking and meeting people. I was lucky enough very early on to join a Facebook group that was dedicated. It was called Chicklet HQ on Chicklet Chat HQ. And that was full of authors like me, independently published authors who wrote humorous romances or rom-coms or chiclet. I ended up with one of my books. It was nominated and was a finalist for an award in LA. This was about 2016. And my husband said to me, why don't you jump on a plane and go over to the ceremony? It was part of a conference as well. So I did. I didn't win. I didn't win the award, but I felt like I, I won friendships because I ended up meeting all these authors that I'd met in inverted commas online and they were all trying to do the same thing and we formed this fantastic relationship they're really my tribe I didn't know anybody who was writing what I wrote in New Zealand and then still I'd say there's not very many of us and so it, that was that was great that was really useful and in terms of getting back to your question I think I've got off topic haven't I I think that's just absolutely fine. You said okay. that you did feel it was a wee bit more difficult than if you'd not been in the US, which is yeah where we yeah. came in. You mentioned that there aren't many New Zealanders writing this kind of fiction in New Zealand, but you we do have a romance writers conference here, and that's how I actually met you last year. So there is a bit going on here in that regard, but it's certainly a real kudos to be nominated for an award in a conference like that. That must have been fantastic. Oh, yes, absolutely. It happened a couple of years running, in fact, and I was really, I felt very honoured. I have yet to win it. <laughs> but no, and when I said there's not very many of us in New Zealand, what I meant was humorous women's fiction romance writers. So there are a lot of romance authors, but authors who write romantic comedies is really what I'm referring to. Yes. And that's my genre, romantic yeah. comedy. Yeah. A lot of listeners may not quite get the difference between being self-published and being traditionally published and also going into Kindle Unlimited and being almost exclusively sold through Amazon or being more widely published. Now, tell us a little bit about the decisions you made in terms of those author choices when you were starting out. Which way did you decide to approach it strategically? Did you take it on as a bit of a business proposition right from the start? I really didn't. I'd like to say I did, but I didn't. I just thought I'd read an article about these savvy Wellington authors who had self-published their books and were doing well with it. My husband suggested that I give that a try. He bought me a Kindle actually for my birthday. And I was like, okay, this was back in about 2010, 2011. And I thought, you know what, why don't I give that a shot? I actually never really tried to go the traditional route. I'd seen that you could have success and I liked the idea of having that control. But that said, I really wasn't very business-minded for about three years. It wasn't until about 2016 that I decided that I wanted to make my hobby turn into a career. So I did quite a lot of research at that point into what is selling and what I want to write. I did a little you know, Venn diagram in my head and found the cross-section between those two. And that's when I started writing my series for the Cozy Cottage Cafe, which starts with one last first date, goes through to four last first dates, all set in Auckland. And those books were the best-selling books on Amazon in Australasia for three months. Fantastic. So I realized, yes, I've made, I've made my goal. I'd set a target for myself and I'd done it. So I was quite stoked by that. 
In terms of Kindle Unlimited versus Wide, as it's called, so Kindle Unlimited is a an all-you-can-eat kind of subscription program that Amazon offers. You pay a fee each month. It's a little bit like Spotify. You pay a fee each month, and then you can read as many eBooks as you want that are listed under Kindle Unlimited. I still have lots of books in Kindle Unlimited. It's been very kind to me. It's but it, what it means is that you cannot then sell your eBooks elsewhere. Paperbacks, different story. My paperbacks are available any online retailer and have been for years and years. But ebooks, it's quite different. So I've recently pulled the Cozy Cottage Cafe series that I just mentioned out of Kindle Unlimited and they're now available on Kobo and Apple and anywhere you buy your ebooks. But all my other books are still in Kindle Unlimited. And the authors don't set the rules, Amazon sets the rules. You cannot have your books elsewhere if you are with Kindle Unlimited. Yes, yeah. But it, it can be very, especially in the romance genre, it's very much a, a pathway for romance novelists, isn't it, to make really good audience attention from a lot of romance readers are in KU. Yes, absolutely. And I think in a lot, lots of ways it's easier to gain your readership. The reason I've pulled the Cozy Cottage Cafe books out is because I've been doing this for some years now. They've been in Kindle Unlimited for a long time. So they were published 2017 and 2018. And I wanted to try something new and see if I could find a different market for them. So it's an experiment. We'll see how it goes. Maybe I'll miss Kindle Unlimited, but it's press of a button away. Yes. That's the yeah. wonderful thing about technology. Yeah. And you mentioned that those, the first, I think the first two series were set in New Zealand and then you decided to go offshore. What was behind that decision? Well, I had the idea of the Dating Mr. Darcy books, the Love Manor books, and that idea I felt needed to be based in the UK. We don't have a lot of aristocracy here in New Zealand <laughs> or any. So I just felt it would work much better there. I'd had advice from a publisher who I'd been talking to in the US that books set in the US or with American characters do sell better. So I thought, let's branch out. I can always come back to New Zealand, write books in New Zealand again. I've written 10 books in New Zealand. So how many books have you written altogether? Well, the book that's coming out next month, Faking It, was the Grumpleby book number 23. Fantastic. So about how many do you publish a year? I try to publish four a year. Last year, I was unwell for several months, so I missed that target. I only had two last year. But four is doable for me. It's three months for the entire process. So that's the first draft, the second, third, fourth, fifth draft. Then it's, you know, involving an editor, copy editor, proofreader, et cetera. It does, t it does tend to take that amount of time. I'm a reasonably fast writer, but I'm not fast the way some of these romance authors are. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned about reality TV. And it's funny, in that Love Manor romance series, you set the, the Darcy, you know, trope behind a reality TV show, which is like the two ends of the spectrum in terms of cultural um, identity, <laughs> yes, I suppose. Tell us a bit about that. And also, I gather you, reality TV has actually prompted some imagination for you in some of your other series. So tell us a bit about that. It has, absolutely. And the first time it happened was actually I was watching Married at First Sight Australia, which none of my friends watch. And I actually have to find people who are a lot younger than me to talk to about it. But I was watching that and it just struck me that that is just 
an insane thing to do to marry somebody you've never met. And that actually inspired the Cozy Cottage Cafe series because that's a, about a group of four friends who agree on a, an Auckland beach one night after possibly too much Chardonnay that they're pushing 30 and they're sick of dating these idiots and they would actually like to get serious. So they agree that instead of being on the dating scene and not making the right choices, they would instead force themselves into making the right choices by agreeing that they would marry the next guy they dated. So the first character, Cassie, in One Last First Date, she's like the alpha of the group, and she takes three months vetting a guy before she'll even go out with him because she doesn't want to waste her time on people who aren't right for her. So that's, that, was, that was Married at First Sight Australia. And as far as love manner is concerned, I love Pride and Prejudice. Absolutely love it. I, love, I mean, it's one of the reasons I loved Bridget Jones's diary so much is it because, of course, it's a retelling of that story. I've read lots of retellings and always wanted to write something about Darcy and Elizabeth. And it occurred to me one day when watching The Bachelor that wouldn't it be interesting if we had someone posing as Mr. Darcy, who's very much a Mr. Darcy character, on a dating show. Like, isn't that insane? And I, it was actually during down here, the first lockdown we had in the April three years ago. And it, I was writing something else at the time and it just kept on popping up in my head. And I thought, right, I'm going to abandon that project, which I've never done before. And I'm going to write this. And yeah, it just flowed out of me. I absolutely loved it. Look, I love the, the tagline you've got for that, and I must read it out because it's just so funny. Well, it's one of the books in that series. It, it, is it a truth universally acknowledged that a girl can humiliate herself on reality TV and still get her fairy tale ending? <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Jane Austen. She's probably rolling in her grave right now. That's the first line. From, well, it's a doctored version of the first line of Pride and Prejudice, of course. Yes, of course. Everybody notices, knows that phrase, university acknowledged, don't they? Universally, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, I also noticed there's another recurring theme here. Quite a lot of your heroines are in their late 20s. And at that cusp of deciding they've got to get serious about relationships, they might have spent their 20s going for all the wrong men. And at 28, 29, they suddenly think, they look around them and their friends are getting married. And so quite a number of your heroines are at that stage of life. Is there something that particularly appeals to you about that stage of life? I think it's because that's my generation. I'm Generation X and a lot of us went through that at that time. And I really feel that there are difference between, differences between generations, but I don't think humans fundamentally change. And I think there's possibly less social pressure on people to be not necessarily married, but certainly settle down and have their lives in order by the time they turn 30. It's probably a little later now, but certainly my generation, I felt like I needed the career. I needed the relationship. I needed the house. Like I felt like I needed that by the time I turned 30. And if I didn't have those things, I didn't have some of those things at 30. I felt like I was behind the eight ball. So that's, it's a key reason. I think it's really very personal, I suppose. I went through that at that age, late 20s, thinking, well, what have I done? I'd in fact moved back. I'd lived in the UK for a long time and I moved back to New Zealand. I was 27 and I feel that I had made choices about relationships and travel and jobs and everything that just felt like 
doesn't matter. I, you know, this is not a big deal. I'll go with this right now. And at that 27, I started feeling like, actually, maybe I should be a little bit more focused on being serious about my life and the direction of my life. Was that a hard transition to make back to New Zealand after a long time in the UK? Yes, it was. It was really hard. I can really imagine it would be. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really was because I'd lived in the UK for, at that stage, six or seven years. I was actually born in the UK, New Zealand parents. So in fact, and then I went back again. I met my husband, we got married and he said, I've got a job in London. So off we went again. So I spent 16 years of my life in the UK. New Zealand, like I've learned to love New Zealand, but moving back in my 20s, it did feel like a very different beast after the excitement of London and also just being able to hop on a plane and go to another country for the weekend. Mm. It's rather hard to do that from our little islands at the bottom of the world. Yes, that's right. Look, tell us about the book that's out next month. It's the first in a new series called Second Chance Cafe, which also indicates that the heroines are going to be a little bit older and at points of their life where they're past their first love. The title of it, as I mentioned, is Faking It With The Grump, and it fits into quite a few of what they call the romance tropes, the things that people look for. It's the grumpy sunshine pairing and opposites attract and fake relational romances. There's quite a lot of things there that romance readers look for. Tell us about that one. Well, Faking It With The Grump, as you mentioned, is the first book in a new series. And it's a small town series set in a fictitious town that I've created in Washington State. My family actually lived in Seattle and Washington when I was a child. I was in boarding school in New Zealand, but I did get to go there. And I've always had a soft spot for it. And I wanted to choose a place in the United States that was a little bit like New Zealand in some ways. And I think Washington is a bit more. It's more rugged. It's got a lot of forestry and greenlands. And so I was attracted to that as well. It's set in a, a town that the main employer is the mill, which is a little bit like Napier, which is near where I live, that has one of the main employers there as a mill. So there are some things that I can relate to, some commonalities. It's set around, instead of friends, I've gone for sisters this time. So I've got three sisters. And as you suggested, with the Second Chance Cafe, that's actually the name of the cafe that they all gravitate around. It's owned by their aunt. And so various things happen, like important things in people's lives and their sisters' lives happen at this cafe. This first book, the heroine of the book has um, followed, she's put someone else before herself her whole life. She's followed her high school sweetheart to LA because he has pursued his dream of becoming an actor. She's actually a teacher and he's had some success and basically the first sniff of success and he drops her for somebody else. And she's devastated because she's changed her entire life to be with him. So she moves home. And that's the first chapter of the book. And there is the hero. So her name is Harper. The hero is Christopher. And he's a New York City mergers and acquisitions lawyer who has been sent by his company to assess whether to buy the mill that this town basically hangs off. So we've got some conflicts straight up between the two of them. So yeah, it's a fun ride. I really enjoyed writing it. And it's written from two points of view. I write from Harper's point of view as well as from Christopher's point of view, which I don't typically do in my books. I've typically written just from the woman's point of view. So it was more of a challenge in that respect, but a challenge I really enjoyed. That's great. 
it sounds like these stories, they have a kind of ring of Virgin River and, and Leanna Malcolm has got quite a few. You mentioned Wellington writers. I think Leanna is probably one of the ones that, is it Malcolm? I'm getting the right name? Le- Leanna Morgan. Morgan, sorry. Mo- Leanna Morgan, that's right, yeah. Her stories set in Montana have got that kind of flavour too, haven't they? She's doing very well in romance. Absolutely. She's Mm. a wonderful writer and has had a lot of success. She writes more traditional contemporary romance than I do. Yes, we're not quite so rom-commy, that's right. Well, no, and mine's always injected with humour. So that's, and that's part of my brand. It's part of who I am. It's part of what I like to read and to write. But yeah, Leanna is definitely doing extremely well and, and she's an excellent writer. Turning away a bit from the books and looking a little bit at your wider career, you mentioned that you had quite a few years in England. The things you did before you decided to settle down to writing, have they contributed to your writing career? Have they helped you in any way? Well, absolutely, of course. Everything informs my writing, all my experiences and various conversations with people. I have a lot of conversations with people who ask me if I'm going to put them in a book. (laughs) The answer is possibly. What, what you say. <laughs> so I had no idea when I went to, I studied at Canterbury. I studied, my first degree was art history and English literature. I had no clue what I was going to do with it. I just loved studying them. And for years, I never used my English degree. And now I do. So that's worked out nicely. I was a teacher at one stage as well, immediately before becoming a writer. And I do have some teachers in my books. In fact, Harper, as I mentioned in Faking It With The Grump is a teacher and I've called on some of my experience in writing scenes in the classroom. So yeah, absolutely. I worked in sales for years and years as well. So some of my characters have the kinds of jobs that I've had. Great. So it's useful to have a varied career. If any of your listeners are wondering whether to become a writer, do a whole lot of different things. Travel a lot, and then you can write. (laughs) And you mentioned about talking to lots of people and then asking you if you're going to put them in their book. Do you consciously research? I mean, do you go out and look for people to talk to them about certain topics? Occasionally, but typically no. Typically, it's just a mishmash in my brain. For one of my books that dealt with fertility issues, which is actually the third book in the Love Manor series, is slightly different from my other books, but it was a topic that's close to my heart and I wanted to discuss. I actually interviewed a couple of people in that because there were gaps in my knowledge. And it was because I was dealing with a more serious topic. But anybody that I do ask specific information of, I always acknowledge them at the backs of my books. I've had a few conversations about various things. I've got one friend who was a doctor for years and I had a character who was training to become a doctor. So I need to pick her brain over coffee several times. (laughs) If you could think of one thing that was a key thing that might be the secret of your success, what would it be? Oh, gosh, that's a hard one. I would say perseverance is a big part of it. I think you can give up quite easily in this game, especially being an independently published author. It's not easy. You don't have anybody doing anything for you. Not until you earn some money. I've actually got a couple of assistants at the moment and I have somebody who does my marketing, two people, two organizations do my marketing as well. But for a long time, I did everything myself and that's quite overwhelming. I remember sitting in a a conference, listening to a speech on or a a workshop on authorpreneurship, they call it, 
and all the things you need to do from a website to your marketing to having a social media presence, newsletter, writing the books, you know, all of that. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I can't do this. This is, this is insane. But if you, you take it, it's like anything, you take it with bite-sized chunks and you work your way through it and you just keep going. And I think if you have a passion for it, like I just have an absolute passion for books, for reading, for writing, for listening to the voices in my head. And I, f- I feel like it's an absolute gift that I've been given that I can have a career out of something I love to do. Yeah. And I don't love all of it but I certainly love the writing and yeah. that's the key yeah. to me. Yeah, that's wonderful. Looking back down the line of your career as a writer, if there is one thing that you would change at this stage now with the benefit of hindsight, what would it be? It would definitely be to do more craft courses, more learn my craft more before I put anything out there. So I, I didn't really do that. I I just thought, you know what, I've got a degree in literature. I've read a lot. I've studied a few books on how to write, you know, I'll be fine, which is just famous last words. You don't know what you don't know. So I would hone on in on that. I would have joined Romance Writers of New Zealand earlier as well. And I didn't even know the organization existed because there's such a wealth of knowledge in there. And most writers are very generous with their time, their knowledge, their understanding. So the Wellington chapter I belonged to before I moved to Hawke's Bay, obviously, and they were just, they were fantastic. There are lots of really generous and successful authors in that group that were very helpful to me. Yeah. You mentioned craft books. Have you got any that you particularly value now or would like to recommend? I wish you'd asked me that earlier because I could have said that. I'm sorry, I just came into my mind when you were talking about it. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I actually, I couldn't tell you the names, but I actually read a couple of books initially that were how to write chiclet because I thought that's what I was going to write initially. And my books are quite chick, they're more rom-com these days, but I couldn't tell you who they were by. But one book I use every single time I sit down to write is The Emotion Thesaurus. Oh, yes. Because there are several in that series, actually, that are very useful, that like can help describe settings, that kind of thing. Because I'll be absolutely stumped. And I find like any writer, I overuse phrases and a good editor will pick that up for me. But not making that mistake in the first, just to describe how someone's feeling like I have a lot of raised eyebrows and it's like a raised eyebrow can mean all sorts of things. So yeah, it's yeah. more specific. Yeah. Yeah. So I use that book absolutely every time I write. As I say, I write in historical mysteries and the very first one I did, I think the editor came back and said, do you realize you've used the word looked over 200 times? I was mortified and I went back and, but often that's the way I was portraying the communication when it was nonverbal. It was just the way they looked at each other. And now I actually go through all my manuscripts and look at the duplication of the word looked and find alternative ways to say it. It's just something that, you know, I slip into and then I have to get a lot more careful about what I'm doing. I think all absolutely guilty of doing that as, as authors. I've had, I had several words, just, use the word just constantly. Yes. And as I mentioned, the raising eyebrows, raising eyebrows and rolling eyes. My characters do that all the time. <laughs> like, I'm very aware of that. I've probably got Zoom to go by now. One of the authors that's in our, the, the episode on best of binge reading that I'm actually going to be publishing today, the top seven, Karen Swan, she writes very nice UK-based, chick litty, romantic fiction, I suppose. She said she thinks it's funny that her books are described as romance because they've always got another storyline as well. 
but she says she has to have the other plot line because she just can't have too many people just staring into each other's eyes. <laughs> I know, but with a good romance, you always get lots of conflict. So there might be some staring into each other's eyes, but then there's always other drama, right? Yeah, that's right. And maybe sometimes the staring isn't particularly loving. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. Enemies to lovers, one of my favorite tropes. <laughs> yeah. You've mentioned that you've got a Facebook. Before we came online, you mentioned that you've got a private Facebook group. So I know that you love relating to your readers. So tell us about how your readers can find you online and what sorts of things you are approachable about. Well, the the private Facebook group is called Kate's Cupids. And it's I have a link at the end of my books to it. I don't advertise it because it's just for people who love my books and want to talk to me and talk about my books or other books. We talk about, I mean, we, we talk about reality TV. <laughs> we talk about movies. We talk about anything and everything, lots of book stuff. But all you have to do is find Kate's Cupids if you're interested and um, answer a couple of questions. And chances are I'll let you in. We do have some rules about being positive and inclusive, et cetera, in the group. But everybody is. I've, I really have a lovely, lovely group of people in Kate's Cupids. And it's grown just organically over the last year. It's only about 450, 460 people, but I adore them. And I actually miss it when I don't have chats with them. That's something that I've really enjoyed nurturing over the last year. I'm also on Instagram, Kate O'Keefe Writer. And I've got a Facebook presence as well at Kato Keep Author. And I'm trying TikTok. I'm new on TikTok and I can't say I love it, but I make videos. I quite enjoy making videos and I stick them up there. And I think I'm Kato Keep Writer there as well. So yeah, I'm kind of everywhere. And I've got a newsletter. Yeah, that's great. And people can go to your website and join that newsletter as well. Yes. And you get a free rom-com when you do it. And there's actually also on the bonus page, I've got a couple of extra epilogues for some of my books on there as well. If you want to read what happens to the characters in the future. Oh, yes. I think I read, I think I read Noah's epilogue. I, th I thought that was great fun, actually. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's from Never Fall for Your Backup. No, sorry. Yes, Never Fall it? for Your One That Got Away. Yeah, the that's one that got away. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And that was interesting because the whole book was in Tabitha's point of view. Yes. So it was quite a sort of little lure to, to just hear a little bit from Noah's point of view right at the end, because all the way through, you didn't quite know, he didn't, because you didn't get his POV, you didn't know some of the disclosures about how much he was actually plotting this whole thing and how much it was just <laughs> totally coincidental. I know. Well, that's, that's the beauty of writing only one point of view, but yeah, but you know that I've had feedback over the years from readers who said they would like more from the male point of view in my books. So that's actually one of the reasons why I've now written this new series. Faking it with the grump, as I mentioned, is written from the two points of view. So you do understand, but it presents new challenges because with a first, with only, sorry, with only one person's point of view. There's the mystery around that other character, the love interest character. You don't know really what they're thinking. All you know is what they're saying and doing from her point of view. Yeah. So you can disguise a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Which right. fun. Hey, and did that feedback come through your private Facebook group as well? I mean, is that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And occasionally I, so I like to survey people. I don't do it a huge amount, but I did it in my 
newsletter as well as in Kate's Cupid's and resoundingly people said, readers said, I think it was 99% of people said, yes, write the two points of view. A number of people were like, I don't care what you write, just keep writing, which was nice. And I think I had maybe two people come back to me and say, no, just keep doing what you're doing. I felt like it was a fairly clear decision <laughs> for me. <laughs> You don't and that that sort of feedback, feedback is really good. That's very good to hear and be willing to listen to, too. Well, let's hope they like the book when it comes <laughs> out on the 14th of March. Let's hope they read it, like it, give it lots of five-star reviews. Then, then I'll know it's all been worthwhile. <laughs> you mentioned Helen Fielding and the Bridget Jones Diary. Of course, chiplets become very popular. And with Netflix gobbling up content, your work would be ideal for the small screen or the big screen. Have you had any approaches in that regard? Well, that's very kind of you to mention. And yes, I have. In fact, I was approached last year by a company. I initially didn't believe it because it just seemed too good to be true. But long story short, I've signed five of my books with a Hollywood-based production company who are looking to make them into movies or a TV series. So they're the Cozy Cottage Cafe series, which is based in Auckland. And that is one last first date through four last first dates. And they want, they're trying to sell that as a TV series. And then I have another title I co-authored with an American author, and that is called One Way Ticket. And that already has a screenplay. And that's a standalone story, standalone novel about two women who, one's a runaway bride and the other one sees this bride thinks it's a mirage running through an airport <laughs> and they end up sitting down and discussing how terrible their lives are and they swap lives. And that's the premise for that story. And I think it does have cinematic quality, if I could say so myself. So yeah, so it's in the mix. It's a long shot is what I always say to people, but it is a shot and it's quite exciting. That's wonderful, Kate. That's a great place to finish. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me here. It's been really fun chatting to you, Jenny. Next week on Binge Reading, Diana Giovinazzo and her wonderful historical fiction, Antoinette's Sister. You've heard of Maria Antoinette, I'm sure, but have you heard of her sister, Charlotte? Antoinette's Sister expertly brings to life one of history's most formidable European monarchs, a woman who upended social conventions for the betterment of her people as the Queen of Naples and who courageously lived and loved on her own terms. That's Antoinette's sister fortnightly from now on. So Antoinette's sister in two weeks on The Joys of Binge Reading. That's it for today and happy reading. <laughs> <laughs>